I have really been enjoying this study of 1 Timothy. I've been, I've been enjoying our, our study, but I've been enjoying my personal study is getting into God's, God's Word. As you study one book, what it causes, bless you, as you study one book, what it causes you to do to, is to want to study another. As you go through 1 Timothy, and you're doing cross-references with Titus. You go, oh, I can't wait to get to Titus. And as you go over there and look at those verses, you know, it reminds you of verses, you know, in, in 1 Thessalonians, and verses there remind you of a verse in Romans. And, and so that, that study just expands the, the knowledge of God's Word as far as the different Scripture. But what it shows to me is the consistency, the continuity of God's Word and how, how precious that is. Uh, again, it, it just shows me that the Bible is right. The Bible is true. <coughs> we may never, especially in this hostile uh, society, we may never be able to convince those that are so adamantly opposed to, to God that the world hates God and the world is... is, is becoming more and more hateful and that hatred is just expanding. So what we do is remain confident that this is God's Word and we stand on it and thankfully it's not up to us to convince people that it's true. Our job that the Gospel is true. Our job is just to present the Gospel. It's the Holy Spirit that moves on the hearts of people and causes them to understand that what we're saying uh, is, is true. Uh, I joined a, a group, a Young Earth, a Young Earth group on Facebook uh, a while back. And boy, you want to see some folks that are hostile. You start reading some of those, somebody will post something that is just excellent, scientific, uh, so right on uh, the money uh, proves evolution is so false. It's, it's such a, a such a lie, and you wouldn't believe the attacks that come on that individual. Uh, no, no substantiating truth. Not, nothing to back up what they say. It's just hostile rejection, and they believe science. Well, and they just get so hostile about that. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is that I even believe uh, science. Anyway, not sure why we went down that uh, rabbit path, rabbit trail. Then you say science so-called. Yeah, science so-called. Science so-called. So 1 Timothy chapter 3. To understand what we're looking at here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, you have to understand Paul's uh, directive to Timothy that he is to ordain men in this church in Ephesus. Uh, Ephesus was in a hotbed of paganism. Uh, they needed leadership. I think what 1 Timothy and Titus uh, are primarily all about is leadership in the local congregation. Uh, 2 Timothy is a lot about, uh, much about doctrinal truth from rightly dividing the truth and, 
And uh, again, Paul admonishes Timothy uh, to guard that precious deposit, guard that precious truth that's been uh, given unto him. So in first chapter in Timothy, uh, Paul tells, tells Timothy that they are to ordain uh, men uh, and how they are to, to set that up. And then, in second, and then in second Timothy three, he goes, shows them how to set that up. But I think the key verse is in Second Timothy three, verse fifteen. that kind of explains why he's giving them that information. Paul's giving Timothy that information is in verse fifteen of chapter three. But if I tarry long, that you may know how you should behave or conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. So all of this, these directives concerning elders and the qualification for elders, qualification for deacons, uh, they have an important purpose in the local congregation. They are the leadership. They are the direct. They are to work to enable the people how, uh, how to behave themselves, how to conduct themselves, how to live godly lives. It's, it's all part of that mystery of godliness that I think is required in a local congregation. So first, first Timothy chapter three, verse one. This is a true saying. Now I started out saying, this is a faithful saying, talking about being called into the ministry in several places. Paul is going to talk about, this is the faithful saying, this is the true saying. And whenever I say that, I know, pay close attention. This is something that's important. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. Uh, I think it's a calling on a man's life to desire to be an elder. I think there are, uh, it's an important role, it's an important job. The local congregation needs men who desire that role. It's not people that will say, okay, well, I'll just, and, and I'll just, I'll do it. If nobody else will do it, I'll do it. I, I think that's, that's dangerous. Is that what a bishop does? And An elder? Well, we're getting ready to talk about that because the scripture shows that a bishop and an elder, the same office. Mm -hmm. And here in 1 Timothy, we have the bishop and then the deacons but we're going to show where the the word are used in connection in the book of acts where a bishop and what does the word bishop mean it basically means overseer that's that's what the word episkopos is it is an overseer i think that it is the uh some of the the Hierarchical, certain churches, the uh, hierarchical. Better now. Uh, well, the hierarchy in different churches, they want to call themselves bishop. And they're the ones who have taken that word and made it so much more than what it ought to be when it comes to the rule of, of a local congregation. A local congregation needs bishop. But it's not necessary to call them the bishop. They are elders. We call 
we have bishops here. We call them elders. And one of the reasons we do that is because you don't want to get people confused to thinking, well, are they a Catholic church? Are they, are they an Episcopalian church? Are they uh, some other highfalutin type church? People get that word confused. What an elder is, what a bishop is, is, a, is strictly an overseer. A deacon is a helper. He is a servant. You've got the, the office of elder, you have the office of deacon. One is an overseer, the other is a helper. So a man needs to desire the office of a, of a bishop. He desires a good, a good work, an excellent work, a much needed work within the church. Uh, I have never been a strong proponent, nor will I ever be a strong proponent, and I've seen a lot of them, don't want any part of them, of a church that only is pastor run and operated, where the pastor is considered the elder and everyone is under him and you have deacons, uh, thanks but no thanks. I don't want that kind of authority. I, I don't think that's biblical. Uh, I think it's extremely dangerous, but I've known a lot of churches where the pastor is, sets himself up as, uh, as the top overseer, if you will, and they get in a lot of trouble or they can get into a lot of trouble. I have always believed in having uh, elders, or even, even when we didn't have elders, you have a church board that the pastor is answer to, answerable to. You gotta have it. Uh, I have never ever wanted to do things on my own well, it's my decision to do it. My own volition, just saying, oh, well, that's what we're going to do. If I have an idea, and I want to carry that idea through, I go to a group of men that I can share that vision with, and they're good about saying, hey, that's a great idea, or saying thanks, but no thanks. A pastor needs that. He needs men that he can bounce ideas off of and uh, things that he'd like to see in the direction of the church but he needs overseers to say, that's not a very good idea. Uh, I will never make a money decision. I will never make a... I'll never make any decision, except for what I'm going to have for lunch, maybe, uh, on my own when it comes to church politics. Just won't do it. Uh, and you know what that's done many, many times? It saved me. It has saved... Uh, my goat, many times by doing that. A church needs overseers, plural. And then verse 2 tells what those qualifications of, uh, are of this overseer, uh, this bishop. But I want you to turn with me to Acts first. Look at Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Uh, start with verse 16. For Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus because he would not spend the time in Asia. For he hastened, if it were possible for him to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. And from Miletus he sent 
to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. These elders of the church. This Greek word is presbytos. Presbytos or presbyteros. Presbyteros. Uh, we get the word Presbyterian or Presbytery from, from that word. But that's what elders are. They are the, the Presbyteros. So he calls those elders, those Presbyteros of the church together. Look at verse 28. Same, same chapter, Acts 20. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you episcopos, overseers, bishops, to feed the church of God which he had purchased with his own blood. So that's just one place where, uh, and when we get, to, get over to Titus, eventually we'll, we'll talk about that again there. But the overseers, elders, bishop, it's the same office. It's the same need. The same qualification. It's just here in 1 Timothy, they use the word uh, episkopos or bishop. And I think they're, the bishop, the overseers, you, those, group, those men can elect and choose, like we have a head elder here, that's Mike Markham this time. Uh, Neil Schnoth has been the head elder at one time. Uh, so that board of overseers, they will appoint someone to be uh, the head elder, which, which is good, but we're, we don't answer to some church hierarchy. We don't have a group, uh, although we affiliate with the Grace Gospel Fellowship, but they can't come in and go, here's what you guys need to do. Uh, uh, they have no authority when it comes to the church. Uh, we're autonomous. Uh, so uh, this church board can, can set up uh, elders uh, or a head elder and have a president, vice president of that. And that's, that, chain of man, that chain of command is very good. But there's not, if you follow what God's word says, is let each one uh, consider the other person better than themselves, Philippians 2, then you're not going to get into all that wrangling and church politics that's, that's possible. So to avoid that is you have, number one, you have a group of men who uh, meet these qualifications. So first one. A bishop or an overseer then must be blameless. Now, to be blameless needs to be unimpeachable in character. Uh, and, and I bring that out because we need to realize that those who know the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, we're already blameless in Christ. Uh, that's, that's God's responsibility is to present us blameless. blameless. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. So you see that, that scripture there, all oh, he has to be blameless. Uh, well, then every, every believer would qualify for that because we're, we are blameless in Christ. Uh, look at verse 4. 
Ephesians 1.4. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So what does that tell you? We're blameless before him in love. Look at 2 Thessalonians. And Paul had already written to the church, I mean 1 Thessalonians. Paul had already written to the church in 1 Thessalonians. He had already written this information. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Look at verse 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. Uh, entirely. Uh, the God of peace. Um, the God of comfort. He's the, he's, he, he's the one that provides that peace that passes understanding. But may the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at the next verse. Faithful is he that calls you who also will do it. Do what? Preserve you blameless. So when it says in 1 Timothy 3 about the bishop should be blameless, it takes on the, the attitude of un, unimpeachable character. That no one should be able to bring an accusation. Doesn't mean that we don't sin. Uh, more than likely, uh, John, our newest elder, he's probably sinned today. Uh, oh, surely not. So sure, well, okay, maybe not John. But... Uh, I love God. I know, I know right? <laughs> so it's God's it's God's role to present us blameless. So this when it tells us that a bishop or an overseer, an elder, is to be blameless, um, it, it takes on having un unimpeachable character. Uh, look at Ephesians. Five. Ephesians 5. Look at Ephesians 5. Pretty much goes into the same. Ephesians 5. Do what? You don't get what? The blameless. No. Look at Ephesians 5. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish, without, without blame. So ought men to love their wives. So it's, how God is going to present the church to himself. How the Lord Jesus is going to present his, the church to himself. So, here in, in 2 Timothy, when it says that a bishop must be blameless, well, every man would qualify as a bishop then because under the scripture, it's Christ's job to present us blameless. This word here, although it's the same word, it carries the connotation of Men that desire this office need to say there are requirements. There is a high calling. There is an expectation on how we conduct our lives and how the church should expect those elders.
to live uh, according to the high calling. Uh, and I think that the high calling of an elder, the high calling of a pastor, uh, I think falls into all this. So that a bishop must be blameless, the husband of one wife, the husband of one wife, uh, need keep in mind that Timothy was pastoring church in Ephesus. The, the culture at that time was men may have several wives, uh, but not only did they have, maybe they only had one wife, but they frequented the, the temple where the prostitutes were. And this, this was important that they were faithful, they were loving, they were considerate of this, this one wife. That they didn't really go and visit the temple prostitutes, but they, were, they loved and they were faithful to their one wife. They didn't have multiple wives. Um, being the husband of one wife, uh, I think it means at a time. I believe that, that uh, there are those men who have been divorced that uh, I still qualify as elders because they are the husband of one wife. That those things which are behind have, or forget those things which are behind, they've been made new creations, all things are passed away, behold, all things become new, and so yeah. that's, in, that's important. Um, so, the husband of one wife, what? <laughs> Is that coming from you? No, it's coming from, from, I don't know. I'm talking to Jeffrey and Stephanie, trying to help them figure out, and I just told them they have to connect to the audio, either through their Wi-Fi or data, and we just heard her say it somehow. Yeah, no. But I don't know how we're hearing her. So the husband of one wife, uh, I, I remember one of the big one of the big issues uh, when I used to travel overseas in the mission field, and we would go into with, in, with different churches and we'd visit different relief projects that these ministries were carrying on, and and some of the mission field where they were taking and starting churches, uh, especially in Africa, you would have situations where a man would come to know Christ as his savior, but he would have multiple wives. He would have uh, five or six wives. And that, that was a, a very touchy subject because for him to divorce himself from those other wives, for him to, to abandon them, would be sending them back home to their family uh, in, in ruin, and, and disgrace and basically destroying their lives uh, so there had to be an educational system where you started training these men according to the scripture uh, what God expects for them concerning uh, marriage and, and what marriage really is but you couldn't have them kicking these women out you couldn't go in and say, hey, you, you can only have one wife, and of course none of those men would be elders. Uh, there was that, where they would, they would go ahead and, and, and continue to care for those women, and they would have the understanding that they could have one wife, but they couldn't.
couldn't abandon those other, other women. And there's so many things like that that you face on the mission field that you, as you preach and as you teach, that is imperative because what would have been taken as a much more severe issue is for that man to say, sorry, you, 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 you take all these children that are, that are my, you're out of here. That would have been much more disturbing, much more destructive. Uh, but in order for them to serve as an elder, uh, they had to follow this guideline to be the husband of one wife. Vigilant. Now the word vigilant there is, is associated with the word sober. Uh, vigilant uh, means aware of what all's going on and be sober-minded. Not, not easily distracted with things, with silly, uh, non-important things, but be vigilant as to all that's going on. Sober means to be temperate, of good behavior, uh, of, of good behavior, not riotous, not being in a drunken stupor constantly, uh, but of, of good behavior given to hospitality. Um, understanding the need to reach out and be inviting, understand uh, the, the need to surrender some of yourself in order to minister to the needs of some of these other people. So to be vigilant, to be sober, to be of good behavior. You, you would think you wouldn't have to teach men that want to be elder these things here, but they need to be outlined. They, one of the reasons why we understand what God's word expects of these men is because it is here. Of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, able to teach. And teach what? The, the mystery able to teach that which uh, Paul has, is, has been revealed to, to him. He's told Timothy, you need to guard this precious deposit, this, this truth that, that was delivered to me, I'm delivering it to you. And later on in the second Timothy, he's going to tell him, you need, you, the things that you've heard of me among uh, uh, many witnesses, the same you teach to other faithful men who can teach other faithful men. It's, in, it's imperative that an elder be able to teach, that an elder understand the grace message, that understands why we rightly divide the word and all that that entails. Um, because basically, they're not going to get it anywhere else. Do you understand here in the city of St. Louis, there is not another Grace Church that teaches the word rightly divided the way that we teach it here. Uh, Ivan's Church uh, is probably the closest, but there are some issues there. At, at is that Church. one in Afton? Huh? Yeah, yeah. This isn't too far from where you guys live. Uh, we were thinking about going there. Yeah. No, we were. Now we were. I don't even know anything about it. But, but uh, it's, he, uh, Ivan's a great teacher. He's a great. He's a great guy. Uh, but still, uh, where, where are you going to go where they teach the Word of God rightly divided, 
that understand those Pauline distinctives, there's not another one. Not another one. So it's important that the men who direct this, this congregation, who are overseers, understand our doctrinal position, that sign on to the doctrinal position. Matter of fact, when it comes to our membership, you've heard us talk about this a lot of times. We don't have a church membership per se where you have to come forward, you have to uh, join, join our church. If you're a member of the body of Christ, you're already part of the church, and that's the one that counts. But we do have an affiliation. And you say, well, you're just splitting hairs. I don't think so. Affiliation says that we are basically, are you okay? just gets her all choked up. <laughs> so, um, good grief. I've got a question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is the church the bride of Christ? No, not at all. No, 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 no. Well, I don't know. That's a good question. No, we're, we're, we're part of the bridegroom. We're trained that to we're, we're part of the bridegroom. We're not. But see, that's one of that's that's and that's an important position. Our elders need to be able to explain why the church, because nearly every well, I'd say every church here in this city, if you were to ask them that question, is the church the bride? Uh, they would say. They yes. would say yes. The Ivan's church would say yes. No, Ivan's church would say no. I was going to say. I said just about every other. Ivan's church would probably be the exception. So, no. I've never seen where Paul, Paul called the church <laughs> the body of Christ. He calls it the body of Christ. And the, being the body of Christ, what does that make us? Part of the groom. We're going to be at the marriage feast. We participate in the marriage feast, but not as the bride. The scriptures, we were going through the book of Revelation. I mean, the book of Revelation, it explains, you know, he, the angel takes John and shows him uh, the bride, the lamb's wife, and how it is so descriptive of, of Israel. We'll go to the Old Testament. It talks about Israel being the wife of the wife of God. Uh, we are, as the body of Christ, now I don't have to get any simpler, we are part of the bridegroom. Well, Jesus we, identified himself as the bridegroom. Yeah, he, Christ is the bridegroom. We're the body. We're in Christ, so we can't be in Christ, the groom, and part of the, be the bride also. But not only that, then uh, God has two wives. What's he going to do with Israel if the church, and the church is not spiritual Israel? See, and that's where people get into uh, trouble, is where they try to spiritualize the church, make it spiritual Israel, so that all the promises and all the relationship that Israel had with God now becomes the property of the church. That is such a false doctrine that nothing could be further from the truth. So Israel is the wife of God. Israel, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven with the foundations with the gates all connected to the 12 tribes and connected to the 12 apostles. Uh, that's, that's descriptive of the, the, bride, the bride of Christ. Uh, I know we have a grace pastor, or a grace teacher, that uh, 
believes that the church is the bride. Les Felding, I, 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 I love Les Felding uh, very much, but Les believes that the church is the bride. Uh, he goes back to uh, Rebecca, uh, our Gentile that came in and says that's a type, but no, not, not at all. So anyway, so. Uh, you know what I get disgusted with? If I can speak. Hold on a second, Tammy. Linda had her hand up first, then Tammy. I get disgusted with them thinking that the only thing that Israel gets is a bow. You know, you eat all the meat and the good stuff and the feasts, and oh, yeah, let's not forget Israel. Give them the bone. And, and they leave all the bad stuff for Israel. Oh, it's a time of Jacob's trouble. Really? It's not your trouble either? If it was spiritual Israel. If the church is spiritual Israel. Yeah. But see, we've already made it. So we're not, we're not spiritual. And Linda's right. We're not spiritual Israel. Uh, the, the blessings that are going to come upon Israel, they also have the curses that are pronounced that they had to deal with. So... The, the church, we are the body. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, Tammy. Yes, can you clarify something for Pro me in Isaiah Pro chapter 62? Probably not. But I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> Isaiah 62. It's I am the crown of glory and the, the hand of the Lord. When it talks about the brothers, when we it's, that's why we have to rightly divide the Jews and the Gentiles in the Old Testament. Isaiah, I think. See, it was never a mystery. Do what? Shall he be called? 
it can't get any clearer that Israel is the life of God, that the New Jerusalem is the uh, is the bride of of Christ, the bride of the Lamb coming down out of heaven, adorned as a bride. Uh, again, metaphorically describing that relationship, and it is metaphorically uh, is how we are to take that. Is that God has that special? It really is talking about the relationship that God has with Israel as a wife, as a bride. The relationship he has with us is as a groom. Now, let me say this about the Gentiles. This is what I was, I was going to mention. Uh, nowhere in the scripture does it ever say that, Gentile, that, that God did not want to save Gentiles. Nowhere in the scripture. You have Jews and you have Gentiles. And it was always God's plan for Israel to be a nation of priests representing God the man and man to God. Well, who were they to go to? To the Gentiles. They were to be a light unto the Gentiles. It was never that the Gentiles were to be, sorry, uh, but we find from Scripture that salvation is of the Jews. If, but if just imagine though, if Israel didn't do their job, what if Israel didn't do their job? What if they said, "We'll not have this man to reign over us"? What if Israel were to say, "Crucifying, crucifying"? What if Israel would not accept their role? Where does that leave the Gentiles? Well, Paul tells us. It leaves the Gentiles hopeless, without hope, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. So because of Israel's rejection, rejection, the Gentiles are left without hope. So what does God do? He sets Israel aside temporarily and he has a hidden secret A body that's made up of believing Jew, believing Gentile, take Israel out of the equation. They're blinded. They're in unbelief. Their king, their Messiah is in exile because of their rejection. So God in his wisdom and his unsearchable riches includes Israel in unbelief, the same type of unbelief that the Gentiles have been in ever since the Tower of Babel, so that he could have mercy on all. See, so that, that is different. Whenever you see Gentile in the Old Testament, don't think, oh, there's the church. That, that's the body of Christ. No, that's Gentile. That's people outside of God's chosen nation who needed Israel to step up to the plate and tell them about who the true God of heaven is. That, that's why God selected Israel. Jerusalem is the center of the world. Every trade route went through Jerusalem. When you stop and you consider the location, the Jews were in the perfect place to tell everyone who the true and loving 
uh, who the true and living God is. As a matter of fact, in Zechariah, look at Zechariah 8. I, I love this scripture. Because it really, I think, epitomizes everything that we're trying to, to say here. Look at Zechariah chapter 8. <clears throat> Verse 22. Yea, many people and strong nations, Gentile nations, Gentile nations, shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. Thus saith, excuse me, thus saith the Lord of hosts, in those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold out of all languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew. Talking about, this is all about the nation of Israel saying, we will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. That is the ministry of Israel. But they said, we will not have this man to reign over us. So the status of the Gentiles was pretty frightening, was lost because of Israel's unwillingness to believe that Christ was the Messiah. And by faith, trusted as Messiah, they rejected him. Um, so, Bill, to answer your question, no, Israel is not the bride. Israel is not the bride of, of Christ. So, move. Moving right along, I would like to get a little bit further on. Oh, Tammy, did that answer your question? Oh, I already knew the question. I just, you know, my heart's on the bride. No, we're, that's right. We're not the bride. This makes a lot of sense because we sure, you know, I'm not a Jew. Right, exactly. And our, our, and, but see, that's at the heart of the mystery. That's at the heart of that special revelation that was given to Paul concerning the Gentiles that God did have a plan before the foundation of the world to save them. And in spite of Israel's rejection, uh, God sets him aside and it's through the Apostle Paul that we understand that believing Gentile is placed into the body of Christ who is the bridegroom and sealed until the day of redemption just as every believing Jew is now. So, apt to teach, not given to wine, not saying that you can't drink wine, but not given to wine, not a drunkard, no striker, means you're not, you don't slap people around. Basically, this is describing a barroom brawl, which evidently took place a lot in Ephesus. You, you're not a fighter, you're not a scrapper or a striker, not greedy, a filthy lucre, uh, not doing evil things in order to get ahead and to make a whole lot of money that you, you don't, you know, the love of money is the root of all evil. Second Timothy, we're going to, when we get to Second Timothy, we're going to be talking about that, that the love of money is the root of all evil. And basically, that's another way of saying it, not greedy, a filthy lucre. Our money, ill-gained uh, funds, ill-gained riches, but patient not a brawler, almost the same uh, attitude as, as not a striker, not a scrapper, not a fighter, not covetous, but one that ruleth well his own house, 
having his children in subjection with all gravity. All seriousness. Uh, that's important. And God's word tells us why it's important in verse 5. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Right? Just, it makes sense. Verse 6, not a novice. Uh, not someone that's young. Not someone that's uh, a, a new believer. Not a, not a new convert. Not someone that's that doesn't know all that's going on. I know that a lot of churches are guilty of you let a new person come in, you want to grab them, you want to put them to work right away. Uh, but you definitely want to give a new believer something to do. But the last thing you do is you put a burden of a church, especially one church this size, uh, and as an elder, because you're setting them up for a fall. And I don't think that that, that doesn't necessarily have to do with age either. Not a novice. I think it can be any man of any age that is a new believer. Uh, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. That position makes him think more highly of himself than he should. Uh, that he gets drunk on authority. Uh, that's uh, in a lot of a lot of people when they have that position, that that tends to happen. Uh, look at 1 Timothy 5.22. Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be a partaker of other men's sins, keep thyself pure. We're going to be talking about that a lot when we get there. But that's the whole, that's still talking about the same thing. Lay hands suddenly on no man. Don't make any man an elder or a deacon too soon because you're setting them up for a fall. And, and speaking from experience, speaking from experience, um, two things. One, when you have men who come and, and become part of your congregation, uh, in the past you might rush, if they're, they're, they're elders, they've been elders in other churches, it's wise to get to know them before you make them an elder of your local congregation. You better be you better be aware. You better get to know them. Um, so you lay hands on no man too suddenly because you're setting yourself up. This is serious business. That's what Paul is telling Timothy. This order they're selecting this ordaining of these overseers of the local church is absolutely important. And, and bless, I, I believe that once a man becomes an elder, he is always an elder unless he does something to have that uh, changed. Same way with the deacon, Janet. Which is intend to become parts of churches to destroy them. Sure, so oh, that they're sure. Not Absolutely. Careful. Right. You, you have to be male and female. Right. right. Janet said there were, there were witches that become parts of churches. Uh, in order to destroy them, they come in saying all the right things, yeah. and with the intent of causing chaos and mm -hmm. causing trouble, uh, and all. So, yeah, yeah. One of the uh, Baptist churches that I belonged to, both the deacons were cheating on their wives. You can't have that. Can't have that. 
blatant cheating on the wives. And then the, the churches, then the elders need to step in and go, hey, sorry, but you can't be doing that and serve as an elder. See, I think the church's role is one of restoration, not to destruction. If somebody's doing something like that, uh, the role is to restore that individual, not to not to destroy them, but at the same time, this is a serious position, and they we need to understand that. And I was going to make a second point. One was when people come. Uh, and that may have been elders someplace else, you do not make them elders right away. You get to know them. And that may take years to get to know them. Uh, and, and have them serve in other functions in other ways. And I can't remember the second point, and I'm sure it was life-changing and earth-shattering. I got a second one for you. What's that? Um, just that without instilling that kind of confidence, in your congregation, how are we expected to be able to trust you to, you know, help us guide through our through the sticky parts of our life? Sure, and that's and that's what it's basically saying uh, here is, but not just me, but all the overseers, all, all the elders have that responsibility to to carry out exactly what God's word says here. Not a novice. Verse uh, seven, and then we'll stop on verse seven. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into the reproach and the, stare, the snare of the devil. I think that good report has to do with a testimony. Now, know this, the world is not going to love you. If you're a believer and you take a stand for Christ, uh, the world is not going to embrace you and is not going not to love you to death. So you're never going to please the world, but at the same time, you you want to have a good testimony. They want you. The elders of the church. One of the qualifications is those unbelievers really can't bring a false or any allegation against you that would not be pleasing to the Lord and not fitting here. So your testimony outside these walls are so absolutely important. One of the qualifications, not an novice, but also having a good report, have a testimony among those that are outside the church, that are not part of that local congregation. So they look at you and they go, oh, yeah, he's a believer. Yeah, he knows the Lord Jesus. Uh, how, how important that is. So without doesn't mean poor people. It means people without the church. Not yeah, outside the church. the church. I think this has to do with your testimony. A poor and affluent alike. Yeah. Uh, moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without. That's not talking about without groceries, without gas, without... I think it's outside the, the realm of this local congregation. The people, your neighbors, understand that you are... Uh, you're a believer, and then you stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. So, yeah. My neighbor across the street, I, I was talking to her, and I was telling her about Jesus, and she said, I never heard of Jesus. I never heard anybody ever say that to me. Hmm. Well, she needs to hear it. Did you tell her? I'm yeah, sure she did. did. I'm sure you did. I bet she I did. I can't imagine Linda not. <laughs> yeah. Well, sit down, lady. 
next Wednesday, we're going to be talking about the qualifications for deacons, which they're pretty much the same. Then we're going to, going to move from that into the mystery of godliness and how that also fits in with these qualifications. And they are important. Uh, so we have four elders with us tonight, so that's good. Elder Bill, Elder John, Elder Neil, and Elder Rick. So uh, it's important that we we know what God's word says concerning. Neil is with us tonight. Do what? Neil is with us tonight. Uh, Online. Yeah. On He's, Zoom. Oh. On Zoom. On Zoom. Yeah. Yeah. You have Bill's on, Neil's on, <coughs> John's on, I'm on. Uh, and I, Howard may be on that. There's a new one there. I'm not sure if that's Howard or not. I think that's Stephanie and Jeffrey. Oh, that's Jeff. Oh, okay. Yeah. They John. I'm just going to comment on what Linda said earlier about Israel having a bone. Jesus told the Gentile woman, how can I throw the bread to the dogs, which is the people, you know? I mean, that's the children's bread. Right. And then she says, well, but yay, master, but the things that fall off the table are for the dogs. And that just shows that's what we have. Because Israel had the promise of their Messiah, the death, burial, and resurrection. That was their promise. And when they rejected him, we're just having the overflow of what was promised to Israel. Right. I mean, that's the blessings we have. Had Israel believed, but Israel didn't believe, so there was no overflow of blessings after they rejected, except God revealing a special plan concerning this mystery, this dispensation of grace, in spite of Israel's rejection, uh, the Gentiles were offered salvation by grace, not based on a covenant relationship, right. not based on any promise to Israel, but by grace. That's why Paul calls it the dispensation of the grace of God. Linda. About dogs. About dogs. Those are puppies under the table, not dogs grown up. In the Old Testament and Psalms, the dogs had consciously about. He was not talking about us. He's talking about homosexuality because it says in the book of Revelation, the first one that doesn't enter the kingdom are the dogs. Now, if we're the dogs, we ain't never going to get in there. It's puppies. Look it up in the dictionary. Look it up in Strong's. We'll do that. Okay. To because the dogs to me is the Gentile. That's what Israel, no, that's what Israel they call the Gentiles the dogs. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. But that's not in the scriptures. Yes, they can call us dogs if they want to, but that's not in the scriptures. Any other questions in my scripture? I thought it was Goyim. Yeah, the Goyim. Any other questions? Any questions from out here? Answer them all, huh? More like yeah. Okay. All right. Well, good night. More like cattle. Oh. Yeah. Love you guys. It's good to see you. Good. 